0: Go to find Matthew chapter 7 with me, Matthew 7, Matthew 7, begin with me in verse 9, Matthew 7 and verse 9, Jesus here speaking on the subject of prayer and God's willingness to answer the prayers of his children. Matthew 7, verse 9. Which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him but to begin this morning with an admission, which is, I find it a lot easier to preach a Mother's Day sermon than I do a Father's Day sermon. Um, part of the reason is I am a father, and so when I preach about the subject of fatherhood, I have to reckon with my own shortcomings, I have to preach to myself, I have to, you know, part of sermon preparation is repentance sometimes, and that's, that's kind of how, how I feel. But I also find it difficult to preach about fatherhood because of the seemingly impossible standard of fatherhood set forth in Scripture. What I mean is, you know, when the Bible talks about motherhood, there are are real life um, stellar examples of women like Eve and Hannah and Mary. We talked about them a few weeks ago on Mother's Day. And I feel like I can wrap my mind around their stories and I can understand them and I can relate to them as much as I can and I can get that. But when the Bible talks about fatherhood, when the Bible just uses the word father, who is usually the subject of that? Not some man I can imagine myself knowing, I can relate to, but God himself, our heavenly father. And so mothers, in a sense, are called to follow in the footsteps of Hannah and Mary, but fathers are called to follow in the footsteps of God himself. And so that's why I find it difficult to preach a Father's Day sermon, because if the task is to tell you what the Bible says about fatherhood, I'm obligated to talk about how we fathers must be like God. And part of what that means is to see just how clearly us earthly fathers fall short of that perfect standard set by the Heavenly Father. Yet by the same token, as intimidating as, as it is to talk about emulating the fatherhood of God, God has shown us what, what really matters about fatherhood through his own example of being our father. If you want to know how to really be a father, how to lead your household, how to set a fatherly example at whatever stage of life you're in, how to care for and raise and protect your children, your grandchildren, The one thing we're not allowed to say, the one thing we can't say is, God never said anything about that. God never showed me how. Literally everything God has ever done has set an example for earthly fathers, and we need to learn from that. In Matthew 7 and verse 9, the passage we began by reading, Jesus compares earthly fathers to our heavenly Father. And he says we can take comfort in the fact that as much as we want to bless our children with good gifts when they ask us, we who are comparatively evil, compared to God certainly, If we want to bless our children with good gifts when they ask us, how much more does God want to bless his children, us, with good gifts when we ask him? Jesus says, you love your children. But you know what? God's love surpasses ours always. Our imperfect love is always surpassed by God's perfect love. We want to give our children gifts that bless them, but of course we're limited in our knowledge of what will most bless them sometimes, and we're limited in our ability to give them perhaps everything we want to give them, but God knows exactly what we need at all times and he always has the the ability to grant it. Our father wants to give good gifts to to his children when he asks him, and he does that. And so in looking at the gifts he has given us, I think us fathers, us earthly fathers, can learn how to give good gifts to our children too. So what I want to do this morning is to talk about four gifts every father can give. Our heavenly father has shown us what it is to give good gifts to his children. And if we can emulate him, we can be good fathers too, after the image of our Heavenly Father. So four gifts every father can give. Number one, he can give his children a legacy to be imitated. This is Deuteronomy 6. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 is one of the core texts when it comes to uh, rearing children. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. One of the most important passages in all, in all the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And she'll talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So part of the goal earthly fathers should have is to pass on the legacy that the heavenly father has left us. And in this text, we have in verse 4, an emphasis, sort of the core affirmation, the core confession of Israel. There is one God. And verse 5, that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that Jesus quotes, mirrors the oneness of God. The oneness of God is reflected in our single-minded devotion. There is one God, so there's only one God to devote ourselves to, so we give all of ourselves to that one God. In verse 6, he says, this should be at the core of your being. This should be with all of your heart. And in verse 7, he says, if that's the case, it should be at the core of your home. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them, these things of God. When you sit in your house, walk by the way, lie down, and when you rise. So God's vision for fathers is that they pass on this legacy this worldview to their children, that they talk about the stories of God's people, the commands God gives to his people, the, del- the love and devotion God's people ought to have for him. Uh, there's, a, there's a verse in Psalm 44 which mirrors this, which is an example of fathers who did just that. The psalmist says, O oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. We have heard because our fathers taught us. He's praising the previous generation. That they had fathers who told the stories of who God is and what he has done. Which is a great heritage for a father to give his children. To tell them stories of God. Talk about the reality of God and what he has done. Now initially my my first point here was was shorter. It just said legacy. That's a gift a father can give is just legacy. But I realized I need to be more specific. A legacy, legacy to be imitated. Because legacy, just a legacy in and of itself is neutral. It doesn't tell you anything. And legacies are not always good. And the fact is, no matter what we do, we will leave a legacy for our children. It could be a legacy of godliness, or it could be a legacy of ungodliness. There's an example of that. The generation of Nehemiah's day grew up with a much different legacy than the psalmist in Psalm 44. This is what it says in Nehemiah. It says, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with the earth on their heads. And Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and confessed the sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Nehemiah 9, verses 1 and 2. They confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers. See, that generation had to overcome the godless legacy their fathers left them, a legacy of rebellion against God. And so rather than praise their fathers as the psalmist does, they apologized to God for the ways in which they had emulated their fathers and pledged not to pass on that legacy to the next generation after them. Go with me to the next book over in your Bible, Joshua, Joshua 24. Joshua 24 is a great passage of resolve uh, for fathers. (coughs) For good or for ill, we are passing on a legacy to our children. And it is the job of a father to set the agenda intentionally and unwaveringly. That's what Joshua is doing. Joshua twenty-four and verse fourteen. Joshua twenty-four and verse fourteen. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him sincerely and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served beyond the region, in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says to the nation, it is time to make a choice and announce your loyalty. No more dithering about it. No more, a little more for God, a little more for Yahweh, and then a little for Baal, and a little for the gods of the Amorites, and a little for these gods. Sprinkle a little on all these buckets, cover our bases. No more of that. You've got to make up your mind. And he says, as you're making up your mind, let me tell you who me and my house will serve. We will serve the God who actually did something. The God who actually delivered us from Egypt and is giving us the land. Joshua says, I can't choose for every household. You're going to have to choose for your own house. But beginning in my house, with the kids living under my roof, we're going to worship God. We're going to talk about right and wrong. We're going to worship him constantly. We're going to be around God's people. Our interactions with the world will be focused on evangelizing it, not not becoming like it. We are going to know without any doubt what we're about in my house, what the priority is. We're all passing on a legacy to our children, for good or for ill. You can pass on Joshua's legacy, or you can pass on the legacy those in Nehemiah had to overcome. Even if the thought never crossed your mind you're leaving a legacy, you are. The way you live, the way you talk, your relationships, how much you talk about God, how much you pray, how much you worship. All of it is a living demonstration to your family. This is what dad thinks is important. This is what dad values. This is how you should do life. And, of course, actions speak louder than words. What we say matters to us is not nearly as important as what we show matters to us. And so that is a gift we can give our children, a legacy To be imitated. Number two, providence for earthly needs. Go with me to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6 that the reason we don't need to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or wear is because we have a Father in heaven who already knows our earthly needs, And he promises to provide for us as he does the rest of creation. And in the same way, after that model of God the Father providing for his children, our job as earthly fathers is to do what we can to take care of our families' needs, to know what they need and to meet those needs. Now, it's a point that that ought to go without saying, but in our time with the breakdown of more and more families, which is often, frankly, caused by fathers abandoning their families, we need to be reminded of this basic point. God demonstrates he cares for his children in this way. And earthly fathers follow suit by caring for their children in this way. This is 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worth worse than an unbeliever. Whatever else you say about him, if he doesn't do this, this is his state. God envisions the earthly father-child relationship mirroring the heavenly father-child relationship. The father gives life to his children, and then he protects and provides for the children he is responsible for giving life to. In return, the children love and honor the father who gave them life and the father who protects and provides for them. Which is the point of verse 4 of this chapter. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 4, If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness to their household and to make some return on their parents to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So children should feel a debt to their parents. Make some return he says. That because your parents provided for you, you in return honor them. You know, it's no wonder that, that as, as our society stops honoring its fathers um, because again frankly fathers in large, to a large degree don't deserve honor as much as they should. <laughs> But it's no wonder as a society stops honoring its fathers that that society also stops honoring God. God intended the family to be the place where children learn to respect authority, where children learn to honor the ones who have given them life. It's easy to see how that translates into respect for our Heavenly Father and the one who has given all of us life. But when homes are in disarray, When in particular fathers have neglected to care for and provide for their own, it's easy to see how children grow up without learning to respect authority, how they grow up without thinking it important to provide for their own. First they saw it in in dad and then they they see it in God. The, The lesson is the home is where respect and honor is learned. And respect and honor is given when children see dad demonstrating he is worthy of respect and honor. Our children are to learn to respect the one who has given them life and the one who has provided for them so that ultimately they will learn to respect and honor God who ultimately is the one who has given all of us life and who has provided for all of us. But it starts with dads. It starts with us teaching them that we take care of them. We teach them to honor the one who has given them life. It's a process of learning that ultimately points us to the one who has given all of us life. One of the greatest lessons you can teach your kids is that a true father is one who loves and cares for them and always we're pointing toward God who has done those things to the nth degree. Number three, third gift every father can give his children is discipline around godly things. This is Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, Uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, the word he uses, discipline, we, we jump straight to um, punitive discipline, negative discipline. But here it's not primarily punitive. It's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is shaping and guiding your children, discipling. Discipline and disciple has the same, the same root. He's talking about discipling your children, shaping them, guiding them. Not just punishing them when they do bad things, though that's a part of discipling, but teaching them how to do good things. The wisdom of godly living is passed down from generation to generation. What does it mean to do this first? It means we read the word of God. We instruct our children about it. It means we tell them how we have learned to live God's word in our lives, and we model that for them. We teach them how to have self-control because we've learned how to have self-control. It means we show them how to pursue peace with other people because we're pursuing peace with other people. It means we teach them how to foster a forgiving heart because we've been fostering a forgiving heart. Ephesians 6.4 means to teach them to be the disciples of Jesus that we are trying to be. That's what this means. It's not just about correction. It's about shaping their hearts. It's about shaping their desires. It's about shaping their wants. Now, we already know this in other areas. We, we want our kids to, we want to shape our kids to love certain things. We understand this. Um, we, we want our kids to share our interests, and so we teach them from a very young age. You've seen this before. You've seen, you've seen that, that newborn baby in the uh, you know, Texas A&M onesie or the Texas Longhorn onesie. That kid doesn't care anything about those colleges, right? That kid isn't getting in there right now, right? That kid doesn't know anything about it. What is it? It's about the parents wanting the child to love what they love. And we understand it starts early. It starts early. How much more than the things of God? It's about shaping what they want and what they desire and what they like and what they love. That's what Ephesians 6.4 is about. Teach them to love God. Everything else we worry about with our kids, we worry about their futures, we worry about their career, we worry about uh, their entertainment, we worry about their education, all the things we care about, will fall into perspective if we get that thing right. Teach them to love God. The point of having kids, I made this um, point in my uh, Mother's Day sermon. The point of having kids is not merely the fulfillment and gratification we get out of it as parents. It's that we raise them to know and love their true Father in heaven. What What gift can fathers give? They can give them discipline around godly things. And finally, number four. A father can give stability and consistency. This is James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James 1 and verse 17 contains one of my favorite descriptions of God. The more I've um, spent time thinking about it and understanding it, I really like how this describes God. James 1 and verse 17. He says, James one seventeen. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so James says God is good. He gives light, which is, of course, a literal statement, like God is the one who said, let there be light. Light is an essential ingredient of life. It's an essential ingredient of well-being, of sight, but light is, of course, also a metaphor in the Bible for that which is good, and that which is true, and that which is beautiful. God gives us what is good. Every gift he gives, every good gift we have is because he has given it. Even if we don't fully recognize it, it's come from him. You know, can you think of anything your parents taught you, Any, anything your parents instilled in you that you didn't fully appreciate at the time, but now that you're... Much, much older, you do fully appreciate. Did your parents teach you anything that you didn't care much about when you were 12 that you now appreciate now that you're 30 or 40 or maybe 70 or 80? That's giving good things to your children. It's not about fulfilling their whims. That's not how God parents us. He doesn't give us everything that we ask for the minute we ask for it. He gives us things that ultimately in the long, in the long run are good for us. That's what God does for us. He gives gifts that enable righteousness and illuminate truth. He doesn't always give us what we want, but he does give us what's truly necessary to serve him and to be holy. He gives us things that in eternity we will look back and say, my father really did care about me. Those are the kinds of gifts God gives us. Now, he also says that in that gift given, in that giving light, James also says this, there is no variation or shadow due to change with God which is to say God is utterly consistent in the goodness he provides. A shadow moves over time. Right? Put your chair in, in the shade and sit, sit in the shade, but an hour from now that shade will be in a different place. Shadows are unstable. They're temporary. They're fickle. They're fleeting. He says in the light God gives us, there's no shadow in it." God will always be there. He is constant in the good gifts that he gives. He is constant in his goodness. What he is, he will always be. And what he says will always be true. And so those of us who are fathers need to treat our children in such a way that they learn what it means to have a stable, consistent, good father in their lives. That's why we fall back on God when we're in trouble, because we know he is there. He's always there. He's always faithful, even when we've been faithless. We may move, but he doesn't move. That's the security of having a stable and consistent father. We need to be careful that our children get that from us. They need, to be, they need us to be a stable example in what we teach them and in how we live. They need a consistent demonstration of reliability, of character, of stability. Even in small things. We need to demonstrate this in our families. You know, when we tell our kids, when we tell our grandkids we'll be somewhere, we need to demonstrate that that means we'll be there. If we tell them we're going to take care of it, we take care of it. If we tell them we're going to make it right, we make it right. It's about imaging God the Father to our children. And at the end of the day, the reason we trust and have hope in God is because of this. He is utterly stable and reliable in his goodness. There's no shadowy vagueness about him. There's no sense in the Bible that you can't count on God. He is utterly trustworthy, which is a model for us earthly fathers to follow. Well, I've got to say it's still true I find Mother's Day sermons easier than Father's Day sermons. And the main reason is because fatherhood in the Bible always comes back to our perfect Heavenly Father. It's a standard that that seems impossible to live up to. It's a standard that should utterly humble every father. But it is our Heavenly Father that points us in the right direction at every turn. What sort of legacy are we leaving kids? We're leaving our kids and grandkids. We're all leaving one. Is it leading toward their Heavenly Father or away from Him? Are we providing for our family's needs? Not merely because it's an obligation, but because we're modeling for for our family that a father's job is to love and care for the children he's, He's given life to, just as our Heavenly Father does for us. Are we bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Not just teaching them not to do wrong things, but shaping their desires and wants positively. Pointing them back to the Father who made them. And then are we stable and consistent? One of the most comforting things about God is that there is no variation with Him, there's no shadow due to change. He is always there, right where He said He'd be. We can always count on Him. The big point I tried to get across in both my, my Mother's and Father's Day sermons is that being a parent is not an end in itself. God didn't make us fathers and mothers because he wanted to give us busy work or because he just wanted to gratify us. He didn't just want to give us some emotional satisfaction out of those roles. The ultimate goal of these special roles God gives us is to bring our children up to know God, the God who is really the father of us all, and to serve him. We may have given our children life, but there is one who has given all of us life, and he is the one that it's all about. And so maybe there's someone here that needs to come and get their, right, get their life right with our Heavenly Father, the one who has given us life. We are to spend our lives single-mindedly devoting ourselves to the one God. If you need to repent, if you need to make your life right with Him, if you need to come and to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the first place, we are for the invitation now as we stand and sing.
1: Like God, we're me, let us listen to the call of love. Zion's call is ringing, coming from the throne above. While we hear it ringing, let us heed the call of love. While we tarry below, there is work to do. And earth's ring cometh from above. As we labor and wait, we must all be true. Let us listen to the call of love. Science call is ringing, coming from the throne above. While we hear it ringing, let us heed the call of love.